Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following program... Flame On is presented by the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Flame On. I am Brian. I'm here with a very special guest, someone who I have known, whose work I have known for years, many years now, and has been have been following kind of passively in the background, watching, uh, reading the web comics, checking out the latest uh, episodes of uh, of uh, the different uh, comics that he has produced in Yowie Nine One One. I'm saying that right, I think. Um, I have Alex Wolfson on the line. Hey, Alex. Hey, how's it going, Brian? doing very well and uh, like i said like i i don't even remember when it was but i followed your stuff I, since well before the young protectors possibly even back before artifice i think so really we're talking like those early days that you would put up those like very small or very short i shouldn't say small uh comics uh online and just really digging it and, and i think I don't remember what you did first. Uh, do, what was one of the first couple uh, comics you did? I know they were they were like uh, they were really good, but <laughs> the name is eluding me. That's no problem. Um, yeah, the very first comic I did was a a very short comic called A Shot in the Dark. Um, it was uh, sixteen pages, and it was basically kind of just to teach myself how to um, you know really write comics and also work with artists. Uh, my background is as a filmmaker. And so I had experience writing film scripts and making my own films, and um, but I hadn't made a comic before, shot in the dark, and so I wanted to write something short that you know had a beginning, middle, and end, and that I could have the experience of working with uh, a team of artists on to see what that was like. And a shot in the dark was actually a magic school story about um, uh, one boy who um, saves uh, his boyfriend, who's a, a magician's apprentice, from a demon he accidentally um, summoned. Um, and it was kind of in line with what I was wanting my brand to be with, uh, as you mentioned, you got the, you got it right. Yowie 911, um, which was basically the idea of, um, you know, cute guys rescuing other guys was sort of my original thinking with my work. And, um, and so that it kind of encompassed that. And, um, I worked with a very talented artist, um, from Chile, um, named Carla Diaz. And then the colorist for that was actually Winona Nelson, who, um, I went on to work with on Artifice. Now, um, yeah, I was actually just about to talk to that. So um, it's, it's funny. You said shot in the dark. And at first I was like, did you adapt the Peter Sellers movie <laughs> that was sort of a prequel or a sequel prequel to Pink Panther? Because that would have been amazing, too, if you had made it like with cute versions of this character. No. Um, the, uh, so, you know, you've you really kind of taught yourself and built yourself out of the because i know you're a film editor and then this is just a whole separate thing you do and so i'm really like it's really encouraging as someone who fancies you know occasionally to write a comic that you know you really just did it all yourself and i mean i know you were you were very self-driven and you're self-promoted i mean everything i've ever seen of yaoi 911 has always been you and it's like sheer force of will 
to the to bring that to life. Um, what were some of the early challenges that you faced getting the word out and getting your work out to the uh, community? Right. So um, in terms of early challenges, I mean, certainly learning to find artists and to work with artists, that was an early challenge. But in terms of getting the word out, um, basically in the beginning, uh, what I, my plan was to release my comics in PDF form. People would sign up for my mailing list um, and then they would receive those comics. And so you can still do that. You can still sign up for a mailing list. Um, and um, that's how I still communicate with a lot of my readers. But, um, you know, and you'll still get the original comics I sent out. And that was a shot in the dark. It was also a, a few chapters of an, a longer work that I was working on called Tough, which had a Filipino-American hero. Um, and my idea was that I'd do that and then build up enough of an audience um, doing that that then eventually that people would pay for these PDFs. And that was my grand plan in the beginning. Um, and so... You know, in, in some ways, in the beginning, it felt like a really good success because offering these comics for free to um, for people signing up with the mailing list, within about, I don't know, a year, year and a half, um, I had built up about 24,000 people on my mailing list. Wow. So, yeah, you know, on one level, you know, that felt like, wow, that felt really, really good. On the other hand, when I went to the very first Yowie Con, so it's a, it's a comic that should, it's, it's a convention that's right in my genre. <laughs> you know, these are people who, should be exactly because not only did I do um, release of comics, I also did um, reviews of um, Yowie books um, and other gay comics. Um, and so when I went there, I didn't expect you know to be famous or anything, um, but I expected someone to know who I was, right? Right. Um, no one knew who I was, like oh. nobody. <laughs> um, but what people people did know is everybody knew um, these other comic creators who were creating comics called um, Starfighter. Hamlet Machine was creating a comic called Starfighter, mm -hmm. and um, and then um, CC and E uh, were creating a comic called Tea House, both of which were web comics, and everyone knew about them. And um, originally, when I when I thought about web comics, I thought they were kind of, for me, anyways, they, they sound like the dumbest idea ever because I really want that satisfying chunk when I read. Right. And reading reading something that's a page a week, um, or two pages a week, that's, that felt like torture. But then I realized, of course. Um, that actually I did read webcomics. I read, um, I read Starfighter. Why did I read Starfighter? Because I had a friend of mine who tweeted about it every single week. Like every time there was an update, my <laughs> yep. friend retweeted. Their update. Yep. And after about 15, 16, 17 times, I'm like, all right, I'll look at this comic. And then I got hooked. And it was such a low barrier um, to kind of keep up with it. It was, mm -hmm. it was so, you know, that I just wound up keeping up with it. And, I, you know, and then I also got into Tea House and, and some of the other webcomics. And that's when I... My original plan, um, Artifice was sort of like the, the one that I was going to sell. It was, a, it was the, the graphic novel that I felt most proud about in terms of my scripting. And I was working with Winona Nelson on it, who is very talented. And my original plan was to release that as a PDF and to sell that. Um, but after seeing the difference in response um, from the, the kind of the method that I was using versus um, kind of getting your work out there as a webcomic, that's when I decided to release Artifice as a webcomic. Now, um, I know, like you're saying, I when I first thought about webcomics you know, years ago, I think it was like Penny Arcade. You know, that was the one that I always thought of as, oh, that's a webcomic. And you're right. It's just a little wacky adventure in a panel, just like a traditional comic strip in, in like a newspaper or whatever. But, you know, your story is more serialized and, and ongoing. And I think when I started seeing that with Artifice specifically, I was like, oh, this is cool. I like this. And what's beautiful it's kind of like tv you know you you know at least in some ways it's out there it's accumulating if you don't want to sit there and wait week to week you can just let it build up and then binge and it works great for that in fact i actually think i read young protectors you know the beginning of it anyway when it first come, came out you know after it had been going for a little while and i just really enjoyed that page on page and then it got to the end of it i was like or the end at the moment, you know, not like right. a logical ending. I was like, oh, come on. So <laughs> right, I love right. that model because it really is like that old serialized, you know, storytelling that we love in mainstream comics and in a lot of television now. And I think it really, like you said, it works well to get people's attention. Um, Artifice is, is interesting because I felt early on it was very different from what you what I had seen of yours previous. And it was very much a slow burn. It felt like to me, um, which was a good thing because, you know, I think at the same time you were doing that, I was really a fan of my, uh, Brian Michael Bendis comics 
and other what they used to or they still probably call it that whole decompressed style of storytelling right um, were you trying like with it i mean you know it's also very different because it's like a sci-fi idea not a fantasy or a superhero thing what were you trying to do with the storytelling that was different than what came before in terms of artifice, what I was trying to do that was different. I mean, one thing, of course, that I was trying to do was create a story with a, a hero that was the, that was what was um, special about the story. What was supposed to be special about the story was the heroism and the action and the adventure and the actual, you know, that it was supposed to be a really good genre story first. Um, that way we got to experience sort of the same thing that, you know, cis, straight, white male kids got to experience. Um, but this is sort of for the rest of us. So it's just with the same – so – it was basically a question of wanting to have the storytelling be something where it was a story first, but that it didn't at all skimp on the gay romance. And that really my primary goal was to create it at a level of professional quality. So it felt pretty indistinguishable um, from what um, you would get from mainstream publishers. Um, so those were three things that I was trying to do that was going to be different. Um, and then of course there's the stuff that's just kind of the writer I am. I'm, I tend to be a pretty thoughtful writer in terms of I like to explore deep issues. And um, Artifice is primarily, you know, an entertaining uh, android, you know, kind of sort of set in the world of aliens um, story overall, but it also explores deeper issues of what it means to be human. What is it? How do you know if somebody really loves you? Um, and, you know, and kind of explores themes of power um, and powerlessness throughout yeah. that kind of thing. I, I was going to say the, uh, the themes of powerlessness in the, you know, the various, like, you know, character on character, there's definitely always one of the two characters that sort of is obviously in control and sort of, I don't want to say questioning the other, but there's that element and it comes across in the storytelling and it comes across in the art, um, whether it's the, uh, I think the scientist who's interviewing Deacon and, right. uh, and then, or when Deacon is interviewing Jeff or interviewing, but there's definitely, it feels like always this sort of power struggle going on on the page, which you know, is actually very dynamic, and I feel like it it makes their it makes for a more interesting story when it is that sort of dynamic and not just sort of two peers sitting there talking. You know, like there's nothing wrong with that if the story is good, but like it that extra element of that who's going to make who do what kind of thing. I I, I don't know. I feel like that really helped push it and propel it and really set up a good uh, stage for it. Um, and the art, Winona's art is killer. Like, I don't, I don't know what she had done previous to this. I, I should probably look for other things that she's done because I'm telling you, and I'm telling the audience more than you, cause you know this, uh, it is caliber of a mainstream publisher. No doubt. Like I, I'm again, just continually impressed with the quality that you've put out, given that it is a fairly small operation. I think it's you and the artist, and if you have a, a separate anchor, but I mean, you know, your production is, it's your production. And, uh, it, it, it's saying again, same quality level you'd find in any of the big publishers. So, uh, you know, I building that team up, like it was, it kind of a constant, just I'm on the lookout for other new artists. I'm on the lookout, you know, going to shows, talking online, like, you know, building that team. Did it, did it take a while to get that right, you know, mix with the different projects? And, you know, did you have any, any, uh, any problems finding the right people? So, you know, it definitely, I'll say def the answer <laughs> to that is, is definitely true. Uh, you know, uh, let me, let me sing a few praises of, of my artists. Like, first of all, Winona Nelson is a rock star. Um, so, um, I was one of the first comics that she worked on. Um, wow. but she did all the art line work through colors. Mm -hmm. Um, what she did is she did digital pencils, printed every page out, hand inked it, oh, scanned geez. it back in, did digital coloring, um, and those are the interior pages for the cover of the book, which I, um, I, I think I sent you a copy of the book. Did you get a chance to look at um, Artifice? I have not it, seen the cover, no. Okay, then um, the cover of Artifice was actually hand-painted oil on canvas. Oh, wow. And there's a whole description in the back of the book um, about the, that whole process. You go through a whole art process, including painting that. So, um, And so, you know, right now what she's doing is she's actually um, – working on a Magic the Gathering art, and particularly like the highest-end cards that they have there, um, which is one of the most plum gigs you can have um, as a painter, as an artist. And she's doing amazing work for that. Um, so that and that's Winona. Um, and she's also a, a, was a dream to work with, you know, really awesome. And then for The Young Protectors, which is a superhero story, that's the current uh, webcomic that's updating. Um, for that one, um, it's Adam DeCrocker, who does the line work for that. Um, and he has worked a lot for DC and, and Marvel, but he also, you know, he's worked on Teen Titans. Um, he's 
you know, a total pro, along with Veronica Gandini, who does the um, coloring for that. Um, she's also uh, a Marvel colorist. She was nominated um, for a Harvey Award for Mouse Guard. Um, oh, so, wow. Yeah, that's that, that, that. I can totally see that now that you say that. You know, they're very, very talented and wonder, you know, wonderful to work with. I feel very lucky. And then in terms of how I was able to get them on my team, there are these various sites where you can put listings for artists. And one of the things that made uh, my listings different, of course, was that I was offering money, which kind of maybe different from about 95% of all the other listings out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, a real page rate. And I wasn't coy about it. Like some people tend to be coy about what they're offering and all that. No, I just put it right out front, what, how much I was offering per page, what my expectations were. Um, and then when you do that, and particularly when you offer money, you get a lot of response. So I you know, for A Shot in the Dark, for example, the very first comic I did, um, I got about 300 responses. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, out of all those responses, when I was looking for the colorist, for example, Winona was just head and shoulders above everyone else. I mean, she was just amazing. Um, for Adam, it was, um, you know, and I had sort of a similar response with Veronica Gandini, too, uh, when I was looking for the colorist for um, The Young Protectors. For Adam, actually, uh, I went, are you familiar with um, Prism Comics? Yes, of course. So Prism Comics, you know, it's a nonprofit organization that supports um, LGBT comic creators. And they have a section on their site where you can have kind of list your portfolio. Mm. And I went through all 200 people who had portfolios on their site. And again, I mean, I, I have very high standards and, and a particular, you know, a particular style I'm looking for. I like, I like the art to be very naturalistic, highly rendered. And out of that, there were two artists who... Um, I thought uh, would be fit would fit really well with the style, and one of them was Adam DeCrocker. And because he was and is um, a professional uh, artist, and you know, I certainly was not. You know, I'm not I'm not famous now. I certainly was a lot less famous back then. Um, you know, I reached out to him and I asked if he would do a poster for me, like a pinup, mm-hmm. just to kind of establish what it was like to work um, with me with kind of a low, you know, it's sort of a lower ask in terms of it worked together on that and it went really well and then I asked if he would do a short comic with me um, which actually turned into the prologue of The Young Protectors and um, he said yes to that too and uh, it was such a great experience and at that point Artifice which was my first webcomic was just wrapping up and I was having much more success with webcomics than I thought I was going to have in fact you know as I think I mentioned before um, you know, I really very strongly believe webcomics are the best way for an independent creator to get their comics work out there right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, need, I needed a new webcomic, and um, we, I basically said to Adam, Adam, I really have enjoyed working with you on this um, short comic. Um, if I came up with a much longer work, would you be up working with me on that? And so he said he would be. He said he'd, he'd really like to do that. And so I kind of went back to my writer's cave and really thought about it. Was there a way to expand this sort of relatively high concept but you know what was a pretty limited idea in the beginning into something that would be more a much more epic longer story that could cover the themes that really mattered to me you know the power of friendship the power of overcoming adversity um you know basically that you know that trauma doesn't have to define you like sort of these bigger issues that i want to explore within the context of a superhero story that was just kind of fun and epic and had lots of battles and humor and that sort of thing and I was able to come up with that story, and I shared the script with him, and he really liked that, and you know, the rest is history. Yeah, I was, um, I was actually while you were talking, I was like just flipping through some of the random pages, and it's it's really clear that the the prologue uh, art from Adam up through like where the story is at right now. I mean, you can see the process and and everything really tighten up, and like the colors particularly. I mean. They're great at the beginning. Like when you said the mouse guard thing, I was like, oh, I totally see that. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe. It's very kind of a flat color, at least at least the early stuff. You know, had sort of not a sketchy quality, but like a lot mm-hmm. of cross hatching, a lot of just you know. Anyway, if you see mouse guard and check it out, I mean, it's a gorgeous book, really great. But um, but yeah, by the end, I don't know if you know the various people's process changed at all. But I mean, this last page where you know I don't want to spoil elements of the story, but you have certain demonic things like (laughs) leaping out at you uh from things and the colors are just i mean they're 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 a little more uh, like you said highly rendered and a little more just like what you'd find in a lot of uh 
I think a lot of modern comics these days with the, the various coloring they do, and it, it looks great. I mean, it really, again, it's, it's, it's as professional as you would ever hope to see on a webcomic. And the, in this day and age, like, you know, the technology 10 years ago was, you know, maybe one thing and artists were still feeling out the digital world and all this other stuff. But, you know, now, you know, so many artists working at least partially in the digital domain, you know, when they do their uh, their job, it's it's like you have to expect like, you know, this kind of quality. So, so that's really cool. And I think it's encouraging for people who want to create LGBT comics that there are these places like Prism uh, and, you know, Zan and, and, you know, Northwest and Prism, like all of that is really, you know, we love them. They do such good work for the community, getting web comic or getting comics and in all their forms out there. So uh, uh, I was talking to your Twitter earlier, too, of course, and I was like, what, what's what's he tweeting about these days? And of course, all your pictures from the various shows that you've been at recently at the right. Prism or the Northwest booth. And I I was thrilled. I was so thrilled to see like pictures of people coming up and cosplaying as different characters from yeah. Young Protectors, or I think even there was one from Artifice. Like that's got to be so incredibly like gratifying to you to see your characters that, that used to just be in your head just like show up at your booth. <laughs> I mean, it's tremendously gratifying. I mean, one of the best experiences about putting my work out here has been the interactions with the readers. I mean, we have a really amazing fan base. I mean, they, one of the things that if you talk to a lot of other webcomic creators, they'll often say, no, don't do comments under the page. It's the worst ever. You know, people, you know, there's so much negativity and whatever else. And, you know, I, I'm not, you know, this is the internet. I'm not going to say that we're immune to any of that. But I have to say that on the on whole, our community is so welcoming and so friendly um, I feel real, you know, every time I interact with any one of them, I feel really lucky. Um, I mean, there's certainly, when I think about the things that I wanted to accomplish as a, as a creator, um, one of which was to do sort of what you were talking about before, which is to kind of show other creators, Hey, look, um, we can make more of this work. Like this is, this is a really great time to create LGBT content that we can make work that rivals anything that mainstream publishers put out. And I mean, and this is something that I've tried to show is that you can actually make your living doing this. This, this mm. is something that you can, you can make your living as an LGBT comic creator. And so certainly part of my goal has been to inspire other comic creators and have obviously more LGBT genre work out there, which is the kind of work I, I really love. Right? I really love to see. But the second half of that, of what I've wanted to do is really connect with readers. And in particularly, I really do believe that stories kind of give you an idea of what's possible in your life, like the stories you read. And, you know, back in the day when I was growing up, I mean, basically any stories that had a gay character, you kind of had four options of what could happen. I mean, you could, <laughs> you know, you could commit suicide. That was an option. Of course, um, right. <laughs> you know, you could kill your lover, you could be killed by your lover, or you could die of AIDS. Those were kind of the, your, or you could die in total misery. I guess there was a fifth option there. You could just be miserable at, and right. alone at the end. And, you know, obviously that didn't, you know, I was able to kind of push through that, but there, that gives you, that gives you sort of like a headwind that you're pushing through in terms of kind of shaping your life and seeing what's possible for yourself. And what you think is possible yourself is often what you try to achieve. Um, and so one of my goals is to really say, hey, look, um, we can be just as much heroes as anybody else, you know, to really have a chance to show, you know, readers who aren't part of the mainstream that, um, that they can be heroic um, and they can be cool. And they can, and all the kind of things that you get to, that sort of the, the cis white straight boys get from the, the mainstream kind of genre entertainment out there, I'm wanting to create that for readers. And, and one of the most gratifying things is both meeting readers at conventions and hearing how it's made a difference in their lives, but even getting like emails from a reader in, in Pakistan talking oh, wow. about how, you know, before they read my comics, they never thought that there could be anything like a gay hero and they could never thought that they themselves could see themselves that way and now that they've read the comic they do and that is huge for me i mean it, it yeah I, I, the outreach alone like um the, that the comics medium is so universal that like you said someone in pakistan someone in any part of the world so much of it's a visual storytelling even if you can't read the dialogue you can see and sort of glean what, what's going on and um, that, that's, that is really cool. And, and it's, it's nice that it comes from outside the mainstream. Like I like when the big two, let's say, or, or all the other indie publishers, like I like that they produce queer content sometimes, or they happen to have characters that are, you know, gay and lesbian and it, it is a thing, but it is, I think far more organic when it comes from outside. And it also is far more, uh, 
far less, I should say, limiting because a lot of times, you know, the big two really are trying to shoot for like the lowest common denominator. Right. <laughs> and you don't have to. You can say, no, my, my, my audience, my market is people who enjoy, you know, Yaoi, you know, basically, and in, in in English and Japanese, but like, like that's my my market. And anyone else who likes it, great. But you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it really, uh, you know, not titillating. I'm not gonna really reach for those other audiences because they have their thing. Like you said, the the cisgender, you know, white male is overserviced in the comic book market, right? Um, right. So, and and oh, in particular, ahead. I would just add on to that and say, you know, it's not even so much from the outside of those outside the mainstream, it's coming from us. You yes. know, that the kind of stories that we are going to tell ourselves, you know, can, can be broader um, and also just more nuanced than something, like you said, that's for the lowest common denominator that's really meant to be appealing to the mainstream and not threatening to the mainstream in any way. Right. It allows us to take more risks, um, but also allows us to have kind of a, a bigger payoff, I think, too. I also love, because again, back, I think, before I even saw your work, I would the only like queer content I knew, because really Prism and Northwest was still maybe not even started or just getting up and running, was like you know certain comic publishers and creators who all they were making was really porn. And yeah. and there's yeah. nothing that is to me wrong about them making it. Right. But that's kind of what was out there, and that was it. And there was some semblance of story, of course, but um, you know. And, and I did appreciate still a lot of the story, you know, the 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 the, the anatomy that was sure. depicted. But your stuff, and I know you were very early in this, demonstrated that yes, the art can be titillating, but not, um, you know, not porn. It's I mean, you you find a perfect balance of titillation and yet really engrossing, interesting, like stories that touch on real things in life. When you did in the Young Protectors, the uh, I forgot what it was called now, but you had them sitting around watching the porn parodies or their, yep, their... Sure, yeah, the first interlude. Yep. Oh my god! Like <laughs> it was such a genuine moment because you're sitting there and you know you you've seen the prologue and you've kind of met Kyle and you you know and Deacon and you're you know the story is already fascinating enough you know which I want to come back to that that whole thing too in a second that that relationship but when they're just sitting around like. Hey, check this out. People have made porn about us. <laughs> right. Like, you know that has happened in real life. Not superheroes, of course, we don't have them, but just people. They're like, you know, celebrities or they're whatever, and they're like, dude, right. somebody made a porn about us. Right. And, like, their reactions to it were – it was like a great way to show who these characters are by just showing their reactions to these videos and what, what they were watching. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean – I do, you know, like you, I mean, I, I think that porn is, you know, not only has its place, I think that, you know, it has an important place out there, but I think that when that's the only thing that's available, that sends another message, too, particularly to younger people um, who are just kind of wanting to find, wanting to basically see themselves as heroes, but wanting to find, like, what can I be out there? What kind of, what are the options? Um, what, particularly for like a young geeky gay, you know, geeky gay person or LGBT person, right? right? And so that's and it was certainly it was certainly a goal of mine to, again, not whitewash over any of the romance, not to say, okay, we're going to make this totally sanitized and, you know, maybe you know, Wiccan and Hulkling, your Hulkling will get a, a kiss at some point, you know, <laughs> right? And and which and, and and you know, I really like you know that's an area where the mainstream. I mean, I enjoy I yeah. enjoy the Young Avengers, I, I enjoy that arc, but it's you know. It's you know it's it's pre, it's it's obviously got to be pretty sanitized for the masses. Um, whereas no, this is something that can be something which can be just as spicy as what straight people get to enjoy, but that it's not porn. That it is character first. That it is story first. That we actually that what really is interesting is exploring these characters as people as opposed to their body parts. And right. Um, and and a second part for me too, like even in the sexy kind of stuff that I I do, whether it's a, a romantic scene. Or whatever. I mean, something that's important for me is showing a variety of body types. Yes. Because oftentimes in porn, you know, you you mostly get one, maybe two kinds of body types. Um, and oftentimes everything, particularly because of you know sort of the hi history with comics and Tom and Finland, Tom and Finland and other things like that, those body types tend to be exaggerated, much larger than life. Right. Um, and and that's fine. Again, you know, I, that's if that's people's flavor, that's it's totally cool. But it's if you're only showing one thing. 
it, again, it limits how people are seeing themselves and what, and particularly what people see as attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if they're looking at themselves, they're like, well, my body's nothing like that. Um, and one of my goals was to show different body types. And so, for example, you know, my partner um, is not white, is not tall, you know, is not thin. Um, he's gorgeous. Um, but he's not those things that you see in mainstream, you know, sort of in the mainstream romance comics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing he said to me is like, you know, for the first time ever, and he's talking about Spooky Jones, um, who is uh, an Asian American hero in one of my comics. You know, he's like, um, for the first time ever, I can cosplay a character. Oh, like, and that's huge for me. And and I've heard that from other readers too. And that makes that makes a big difference to me. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's we're starting to see it finally in the mainstream, and I think it's in part because of people like you and other creators out there who they're not they're not and the big two, and they're making great content that shows it's possible. You know, like even recently, and I, I would say Valiant's a fairly big publisher, but having a comic like Faith with a a plus size you know woman uh, as a superhero in the costume and everything, like just being herself, like. You would never have seen that 10, 15, or or even more back in like the 90s when anatomy really wasn't entirely accurate, right. no matter where you right. look. Right, right, right. Um, but no, I, I think you guys have a huge, like, pl- uh, you played a huge role in, in bringing that to the big two. And, you know, you have, you know, uh, Miles Morales now and his mm-hmm. buddy, uh, God, I forget his little sidekick's name, um, who's an Asian American. And you have. Uh, Kamala Khan, you know, Miss Marvel, DC's getting in on it and doing their things, which actually I should give DC credit. They've, they actually, I think over the years have done a lot uh, to diversify things. I mean, Obsidian, you know, was (laughs) out and, uh, you know, kind of doing his thing, you know, years before, uh, before everything else came out. But, um, so I got to get back to your body type thing here because I... I'm a fan of the bears. I don't know if you know this mm-hmm. about me or about our show. We, we're not a bear podcast. I'm actually on a bear podcast called Comic Book Bears, but that's a whole other thing. Okay. But we definitely do like the, you know, her suit male form. Right. And uh, Bara is actually something that in the last, I don't know, five, six years, I've become aware of and become kind of a huge fan of because more yep. and more is being made uh, in Japan and, and translated and also. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. By uh, other, you know, creators in, in that sort of genre. And I won't say that Deacon is is a Barra character. I, I wouldn't really, that doesn't quite work because it's kind of a different thing, right? But right. when I read those first pages and I'm sitting there watching Deacon in all his glory, mm-hmm. silver fox daddy that he is, working Kyle and kind of teasing him in a way that was playful and yet sort of seductive and also just sort of demonstrating that he is a a bad guy. Like that was a huge turn on. And again, it's not sexual. 
at, right. at really. I mean, it's 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 it. I think that most of that at prologue they kiss, you know, like. Right. But that whole dance that they do outside right. that gay bar was incredibly like uh, titillating, just because of that dance. And I think, especially in this culture where porn is, you know, click away, and we just we we just hook up. Apps are huge, like that romance that process to get to that moment of you know of whatever like that's really sexy and i really enjoyed that thing but i wanted to ask you about deacon specifically what made you go with that kind of older younger like dynamic there like what was just was it just deacon was fully formed and you said you know what i want to do this or was there sort of something you were trying to work that out with like what was the what was the background on that Okay, so to give you the background, first of all, just just a minor correction. Oh, sorry. De- Deacon is the android from Artifice. Oh gosh, I did it. Um, Duncan. That's right. Duncan, sorry. also known as the Annihilator, is the, yes. is the supervillain in uh in the Young Protectors. Um, and so yeah, a, f- a few things with that. So one, in terms of where that came from, I mean, you talked a little bit before about how I'm, you know, I was writing, you know, for a Yowie audience, and the and the the way I kind of have put it is I'm. I'm writing for a Yowie loving audience in the sense that I want to give the message that it's this isn't inside baseball. It's not just for um, you know gay men. That it's actually it's meant to be accessible for women as well. And about sixty percent of my readership is um, are women. Okay. Or identifies women. So and forty forty percent identifies men. Um, but I you know I I use that term Yowie early on uh, to kind of let people know hey this is this isn't meant to be inside baseball. But it's really meant to be for, and this is how I, I really kind of present my work. It's meant to be for people who want to see, you know, non-mainstream heroes, um, and particularly um, LGBT heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, those, you know, that's sort of the the audience I'm reaching for. Like, if you've been wanting to see something that's a really good genre story first with an LGBT hero, that's the audience I'm reaching out to. So when you talk before about Bara, I totally agree with you about that about the art. I find, if I'm looking for the art that I personally find turns me on. Um, Borrow over Yowie any day of the week. Nice. Um, in fact, you know, I mean, I'm, one thing I'm really happy about is Bar is finally, finally getting published here in the United States. Yes. Um, you know, Mentaiko and Tagame, um, you know, some of the some of the most popular artists um, out there are, are now getting getting published here. In terms of the storytelling, you know, particularly for like Gengoro Tagame, whose art, whose draftsmanship is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he tends to. You know, focus a lot on S and M, which is not particularly my flavor. But in terms of like the art style, uh, I think his work is fantastic. So certainly that does inform um, the direction I give, uh, you know, that I give my artists with, you know, with the idea that I am wanting to show diversity of body types. Now, where Duncan came from, in particular, remember this originally the prologue was meant to be just this short story, right? And and that was it was meant to be a one-off. Um, and I then converted it, in, you know, as a launching pad into this much longer epic story. And the inspiration that I had for this is, came from one of my favorite um, arcs that I read as a kid, which was the Judas Contract, um, which was a Teen Titans arc. Yes. Um, and in it, you had um, basically the young team, which is the Teen Titans, right, facing off against an older supervillain who uh, um, at that point was known as Terminator. Now he's Deathstroke the Terminator, right? Mm-hmm. Um Slade Wilson. And one of the dynamics I really liked about that particular story was that he takes care of like all the teens with powers really easily. But when he faces off against Nightwing, um, Dick Grayson, um, Dick Grayson actually gets away from him. He's the one character he can't defeat. And he has this moment of reflection where he um, thinks to himself, you know, it, it actually makes sense that the character without powers is the most dangerous one. Because, yes, I have some powers and abilities myself, but what really makes me dangerous is my mind, is my thinking, it's my strategy. And that kind of, from that kind of character, both, you know, in terms of personality, um, and then also the dynamic between old and young and um, experience versus, you know, exuberance, um, was something that I wanted to kind of capture. And so when I was talking to Adam DeCrocker about the character design for that, I said, look, this is, with my, this is sort of the inspiration of this short work. Um, let's come up with a character design that's evocative of that. So that's where Duncan's body type and, um, you know, why I chose to have him be an older supervillain, uh, older, more experienced supervillain came from. 
now I it, and and looking at it, you're you could totally see it. Like you can, it, he he's not that same uh, power set. He's not that same right. you know exact look. But just there's something now that you say that that I see totally reminiscent of Deathstroke and like that that really. And I forgot about the Judas contract altogether. Although I don't know if you keep up with the DC animated. It looks like supposedly with the most recent Justice League versus Teen Titans animated. Yep. That they might be building up to a Judas contract uh, animated. Um, I mean, some of these best arcs are. It's really interesting. Like some of my favorite arcs as a kid, they do wind up in movies because I think because they are so powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, God loves, man kills, which was hugely influential of, of me. Yeah. You know, um, both you know as a reader, but also as as a writer, the X Men arc, which basically kind of takes sort of the subtext of X Men being gays and but puts it really for you know kind of as, as foreground text. Um, you know, they basically repeated much of the the beats of that, and I think X Men Two. Yes. Uh, so, it is kind of gratifying that some of the most satisfying arcs um, are now kind of getting released again. And I, you know, I think that the kind of that the people who were kids like us who got affected by this when we were younger are now being, getting a chance to kind of take the helm of these superhero movies. Well, and it, and even going back to comics, I see creators like Steve Orlando. Mm-hmm. Who is doing some? Actually, in a, in a certain way, something that's very reminiscent of Young Protectors and the Midnight character, being mm-hmm. he's not a bad guy, but he certainly is a hard-edged superhero, and he has a relationship with Nightwing that is very flirty. <laughs> yeah, we we yep. don't nothing is you know Nightwing is a heterosexual you know cisgender male, but but right. and I say but because like that's the joke and all the you know issues about his, right. his you know posterior, but like like. You know, you know, growing up that he was in that same kind of mode, like, you know, reading these these characters, reading these situations and just sort of going, gosh, wouldn't it be hot if, uh, you know, this character was gay and had a real, you know, realistic love life and all this stuff. Um, and so, yeah, again, it's, it's if, if if our listeners are familiar with that, you know, you definitely would enjoy the relationship, I think, with uh, the Annihilator and and Kyle specifically, but you know the whole team to a certain extent. And I don't want to spoil too much because I know it's it, it's at a very kind of surprising and critical moment in the web comic uh, here in uh, April of 2016. Right. Um, so like uh, I guess that's was it chapter four? Is that right? Yeah, we're in chapter four. It's been going on for three years, and I mean one of the things that that if I had to do it all over again, mm-hmm. I mean I I definitely set up certain expectations in the first couple chapters. Which um, I, you know, not, it's not too much of a spoiler to say that I, I subvert and explore later on. Um, and I think some people get it to, you know, read like the first chapter and they think, oh, well, this is just going to be silly, fu- funny, sexy, fun times, mm-hmm. and not realize that we're going to explore some deeper issues later on. And actually, that my goal really isn't to have, you know, fluffy Yowie. And part of the, the issue is my site is still called Yowie 911. So people are like, oh, it's just supposed to be silly Yowie. Um, and they come in with that, that attitude. And then, of course, the story is really actually meant to be an, an epic, deep superhero story along the lines of some of these, you know, God Loves, Man Kills or um, The Judas Contract, where it's really meant to be, yes, it's a fun, entertaining story, but it is not meant to be lightweight or frivolous or, um, you know, it's meant to be really high quality in terms of both art, but also the storytelling, too. Yeah, and some of my favorite uh, manga, and I, 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 Yaoi is something I'm struggling, I'm actually looking at my bookshelf now, and I, I definitely have stuff like uh, Love Mode and Kazuna, and uh, what's the other one I saw, Fake, I don't know if it's Fake or Fake, but whatever, Like those are my Yaoi experience, and every time I go to a show and there's the... Uh, the Yowie vendor or whatever. I'm always flipping through and I'm like, gosh, I don't know what any of this stuff is, but it looks awesome. But, um, but yeah, I, I certainly in, in other manga, like what you're doing is what I look for. Like, I don't want that silly, fluffy, you know, kawaii kind of thing. I mean, it has its place, of course, but the best ones have these deep, dark kind of epic stories that then, you know, can become, momentarily lighthearted but you know still deep down is 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 engaging and and you know it's it's not popcorn it's a it's something more like a meal you know there's a place for everything but you know the best ones i think really ride the balance between the two and you know admittedly the first you know volume which actually you did send me um the first volume of the young protectors and i I I had actually read the whole thing and I you know having it in in book form I was just flipping through it and just really sitting there and enjoying the art so much more 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I have gone a lot digital. I mean, I like getting digital issues, but there is really still something to be said for just sitting there easily, mm-hmm. like pouring through the art in front of you in your hands. Like there's something really nice about that. But that first volume, like, you know, you said it does set it up as sort of one thing. And then, you right. know, subsequent ones kind of like subvert that, which is great. I mean, that's the way to do it. I think, you know, get them in the door telling a story, <laughs> you know. Hey kids, I got candy. And then, oh wait, we don't just have candy. We have I mean, uh, Werther's originals. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are things that are satisfying about that as a writer and you know as a reader to have that that expectation. Oh, this is much deeper than I thought it was. Yes. That said, you know, would I do that choice? Would I make that choice again? Probably not. Particularly not for a webcomic, which comes out so slowly. Okay. You know, just to, I mean, we up. You know, we have missed one update ever, and that was due to a family emergency. You know, wow. in the three years. So we've. You know, we, you know, we we update on Christmas. We, we've, it's been a solid two pages a week, you know, continuously. And my artists are, are saints for <laughs> kind of cranking up that output with the quality that we have here. And it's still two pages a week, so things things move at a glacial pace in terms of, um, you know, if if in terms of things unfolding. And so I think you know, if I were to do it over again, one of the challenges people will get into it, you know, people will read this first thing, they might get 15 pages in, and they think, oh, well, this is this one thing, it's not for me, and then won't continue. I've, I've had that happen, and then and then some friend will convince them to continue, and they'll often get these things saying, oh, my God, I'm glad I stuck <laughs> with it, it's, it, you know. But I think there's a reason, like, from a writer point of view, whether you're doing prose or comics, they say, well, make sure in the first few pages you make it clear, you know, what the hook is, what the thing is to get in there. And, sure. and I think, I think there's times to subvert that and, to, and it's fun to have that surprise. But, um, I do think that I wish like with artifice, you read the first six pages, which is the artifice is a science fiction web comic. You get a pretty good idea what kind of ride you're in for. Yeah. Um, and I think that for my next comic, I'll also probably lean a little bit more in that direction. Not to say there won't be twists and turns cause it's still me, but, um, <laughs> I do. I do think that, you know, there's lots and lots of people who I know would love reading this story and they read the first 15 pages and they think it's something that it's not. And then right. they don't. Continue. So, you know, these are these are I mean, this is the this is one of the nice things about being an independent creator is that you, you know, you can take these big risks and sometimes the risks really pay off. And, you know, as I said, I make my living doing this. So I feel very grateful um, for how it's all turned out. And you, then you also you know look at things like, well, maybe I would do something different next time. Yeah, and that's the thing about creative art is you know you you have to keep trying new things. If the moment right. you just keep doing what you know you do without that risk, I think it becomes stale, and I think people can see that in the product. Certainly, you know I, I'm not naming names because I would never you know deem to tell somebody <laughs> else like your work is stale. But I mean right. I think you can see it in certain creators out there in the big uh, comic space right. that just seem to have gotten really complacent. <laughs> And they're just compared to what they started with and what they're at now. It's like, wow, man, you're just I don't, I'm not going to say phone it in, but you're, you're just kind of resting. But again, this stuff is it's not that it's different. And it, it does it does challenge, honestly, some of my expectations. I mean, admittedly, after I read that first volume, I was like, OK, yeah, this is this is cool. And then it's hot. I like it. And right. then it turns a page and you're like, oh, well, all right, this is different. But again, it's different and it's different in a in a good way so i don't know i i'm hoping that our listeners again who have not already checked this out and i know a lot of them have um uh or previously but you know if you go out of there now and you check this out it's all free which is this is another thing about web comics right. it's free you'll get it you can read it enjoy it and then if you like it you have done gosh you've done every every way to 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 monetize and and get the product out and it's it's impressive because everything has been really successful you've done kickstarters Mm-hmm. And you're doing a Patreon uh, with the, the ongoing subscription thing now. I mean, right. which of the two have you found to be the most um, not profitable? I don't want to go there, but just the, the the most successful and easy for you to kind of execute. Does that make sense? Right. No, it does make sense. I I will say one thing: none of it's easy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it, it's all pretty heavy lifting, but. Um, the opportunities that are presented through crowdfunding, both Kickstarter and Patreon are forms of crowdfunding, where you get a bunch, instead of going to like a, a big publisher that has big pockets or to, you know, a few wealthy people who have big pockets, mm-hmm. which is how, you know, often creative projects like films or comics or whatever were funded before, or you're, or you're reaching for Visa and MasterCard, you know, instead of these kind of limited methods, what crowdfunding enables is for regular people to give small amounts of money, like for your readership, to give small amounts of money to make something happen that would otherwise never be possible. 
And both Kickstarter and Patreon are both very useful tools, and they serve very different purposes. Um, and one of the really exciting things right now um, in terms of being an independent creator is this crowdfunding because it does make things possible that weren't possible before. So the purpose for Kickstarter is to make a big project happen that couldn't happen, that has a finite beginning, middle, and end. And so in terms of, uh, you know, with Artifice, um, once I completed the webcomic story for that, and I do believe in bringing stories to completion, um, you know, I wanted to have a graphic novel for that, but I couldn't afford to print that on my own. And so for that, you know, I asked for $7,000 to raise money for printing fees, mm-hmm. and, I, and I wound up getting $36,000 wow. for that. So I could print it exactly how I wanted to, eight and a half by 11, you know, really nice glossy paper, really good printing quality. And then I want to do the same thing. I mean, Young Protectors is a much longer story. So whereas Artifice is a standalone story in that one graphic novel, The Young Protectors, this particular arc of it anyways, is, is going to cover three volumes. Mm-hmm. And so for the first volume of that, I asked for $14,000 for that because um, I wanted to print with the same quality as I did with Artifice. And I wound up getting $133,000. Wow. And with that, you know, because I was experimenting with things with, with crowdfunding because I really believe um, – I really believe it's a really useful tool as an independent creator. I threw in a bunch of things. For example, you can get, you know, five packs of trading cards now. Which are awesome, by the way. Those are really cool. And, like, when I when I saw those, I'm like, oh, my God, trading cards. That's fantastic. Like, if I was a little, like, not little, but if I was, like, a, a kid again and that was something that was out there, I was I, it would just blow my mind. So. <laughs> Totally. You know, you can get that. You get, there's all this art that was created, all these prints you can get. You can get one of the characters, Spooky Jones, who I mentioned before, who's um, one of the heroes and, and, you know, one of the most romantically successful characters. Um, he has a cap that has a spooky ghost logo on it. You can get that cap. You know, all these things were made possible through the Kickstarter. People can get them now. I'm offering through a pre-order through another um, crowdfunding site called Backerkit. You can pre-order them and you can get them shipped out to you in May. So there's things that are available. Um, it was a lot of it was that that one was a lot of work, so yeah. probably next time it will be just about the book. <laughs> but you know, it's it's enabling what Kickstarter and all crowdfunding is is for. But Kickstarter in particular is enabling individual short things that putting creating like merchandise that would not otherwise be able to be made without the help of the the reader support, right? Right. So that's Kickstarter. Patreon, on the other hand, is is something different. That instead of you know going for you know, a, a particular project with a beginning, middle, and end, Patreon is meant to support a creator's ongoing work. So whereas in Kickstarter, you might pledge, you know, $25, and you pledge it once, and your credit card is charged, and that's the end of it. With Patreon, you pledge a much smaller amount, let's say $5, but that is then something that gets um, charged every month. So it's on an ongoing basis is what you're pledging to support a creator's work with that. Um, and in exchange for that, the creator creates kind of some special things that is only available to Patreon you know, for, for the patrons who support you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my case, I don't limit my comic book pages. I want that to be out there for everyone to read for free. But, you know, like, for example, you'll notice on my regular comic book pages, you know, you don't get full nudity. They get, it gets pretty sexy on the comic book pages, but you don't have, like, full frontal nudity because mm-hmm. I want as many people in particularly as many different countries to be able to access my work as possible. Mm-hmm. But there are readers who really wanted that. And so, like, some of the patron rewards are getting access to fully nude art of the characters of the adult characters anyways yeah um and so with patreon you know that was something that i started um well, i guess a year and a half ago at this point a year and four months ago i started in january of 2015 um and at this point um i'm bringing in 6800 dollars of income a month from wow that. that's amazing and you know about four you know three to four you know three three thousand thirty five that goes to my artists, but that um, you know that amount of money plus the amount of money I'm making with conventions and other sales means that I was able to quit my day job. That this that's, is what I do full time now. That's remarkable. I mean that that has got to be so liberating for you that you have this base of people out there who just eat up what you're doing and will continue to support your creating more of that. Like I I feel like that's like the future, and I always think I used to think of Patreon as like the NPR model, you know, kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. hey, you want to support this public radio, give a monthly donation or whatever. But like it it really can be such a minimal cost for, you know, your your average in- person who enjoys the content, and yet in aggregate, you know, it, like you said, it enables you to quit your day job and just 
make this your thing, which, ah, that's, that's, that's congratulations. That really is awesome. And it's like that kind of success story is so important to, to, for people to know about who are even mildly interested in being creative and, and, and especially in the space that we're in. So that's really awesome. I feel very grateful to my readers. Um, I mean, like, I never thought this would be possible that I could be making my living, you know, basically making gay comics <laughs> is what mm-hmm. I'm doing. Um, and, and the comics that I've, I've always wanted to make and, and telling the stories I want to tell. Um, yeah, and no, I feel very grateful. Well, I, I definitely know from past interactions and from everything I've heard, you are always very easy to talk to and you're very responsive and you know it it is one of those things that nowadays it's sort of expected but again years ago when you were starting out you you were very very communicative with the community and like you said the comments and everything i remember i would see you respond and like that means a lot i think i think and i think i would say our audience probably agrees with this like to be able to kind of treat the creator uh, or writer artist whoever as as someone who you can have a dialogue with, it's not just this, you know, sage up in the clouds, you know, doing right, their right, thing right. and sending art down from on high. It's like, no, this is a person. Of course, they want to be able to know who their listener, their their listeners. They want to know who their who their audience is and actually interact right. with them. So, uh, the conventions. Let's talk about that real quick because I know I saw okay. you have a few, at least one I know coming up. Um, mm-hmm. are, what you're out on the West Coast, so you you doing like WonderCon and you did like the Emerald City as well. Yep, I did Emerald City. I did WonderCon. I did Emerald City Comic Con. Emerald City Comic Con. I ha- always have some of my favorite experiences in Emerald City Comic Con, um, and they're often with like parents and kids. Uh, like the first time I went to Emerald City Comic Con, I just had Artifice. I just it was it was the very first mainstream con I'd ever done, and so I was a little nervous bringing a gay book to it, even though I was in the Prism booth, you know, uh, which is. A, but I figured, you know, that people might not know what Prism was, and, it, and just and just to be clear, in case because I don't. I don't pronounce things super clearly. It's P R I S M, so not prison. It's prism as in the. <laughs> Good. That's glad you pointed that out. Yeah. <laughs> Just so people, you know, when they want to look it up online. But I was there, and then this, this, this kind of this very. I don't want to. I don't want to give any any stereotypes. Well, let's just say this this couple, this older this older couple, came wanting to buy a book for their kid, and they walked right up to me, you know, and I'm, and I'm friendly and I'm smiley. Um, and they said, we want to buy a book for our kid. And I didn't even know if they realized that they were at a gay booth or anything like that. And they just grab Artifice and pick it up and start flipping through it. And they're going straight for the sex scene. Um, and in my mind, I pictured that they were going to like freak out like if they got to that, if they were not prepared for this. Um, and that there might be a confrontation or whatever. And so I'm just like, so as gently as I can say, like, okay, well, just so you know, this book is, is for mature audiences. And the mother looks at me totally fiercely. She puts her finger on the table. She walks me straight in the eye and she's like, this book is completely appropriate for our 15-year-old son. <laughs> and I'm like, God bless you. You're right. <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, would this have been the interaction that you would have had? And said, like, she will absolutely make sure that her son is able to look at this book, get this genre book that has a gay hero in it and even has a sex scene in it. And it's totally appropriate for him. And I'm like, yep, you're the mom. You get to decide that. Exactly. And then this... This year, I had a, a father-son um, pair come over and buy not only Artifice, but also the Young Protectors, and, and I think the, they got the trading cards, too. And the next day, the, the son came by, and it's like, I just want to let you know my dad and I read your books, and we really loved them. Um, and that, I just think, is awesome. So yeah. I've, Emerald City Comic Con is one of my favorite cons um, ever, just because it's just the people who are there are wonderful. Up, you know, what, what do I have upcoming? I'm going to be at San Diego Comic Con. Um, you know, obviously that's in San Diego. I'm also going to be on the East Coast um, in Brooklyn for FlameCon. I know, I saw that. Did you go last year? I didn't. Adam was there. Oh, so okay. Adam, Adam is located on the East Coast, so he um, sometimes does cons for me uh, when I can't attend, uh-huh. um, and he's he's awesome. Um, and so this time we're going to get to do it together. Cause, oh, that's uh, great. It was a one day last year, and that would have been a tough financial thing for me to just come and make that flight for one day. Sure. But this year it's two days, and I hear it's you know it was totally awesome and fun last um last year and so i'm really looking forward to doing that this year yeah our friends uh up at geeks out in new york they they everyone like you said who i talked to uh right after that show uh i think right after last year they, they had a heroes con down in charlotte and some of my uh gay creator friends who were at flame con they just they just said it was it was a lot of fun and for a first time they've ever done a show i mean geeks out didn't start as a, a 
show like producing entity. They were a nonprofit right, right, right. trying to spread geeky awesomeness in New York, and then right. they were able to pull off this 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 convention. And we wanted to go. I actually I was really kicking myself because I was like, well, we're flame on, and you're flame on. We should totally <laughs> right. do stuff. But like you know, even for us coming out of Florida, it's even getting up on the East Coast can be a challenge. So uh, we're gonna see. We might be there this year. So hopefully we can actually meet in person. It'd be awesome to come see you and support everybody and. Yeah, if you haven't checked out FlameCon, you definitely should uh, go look up look up Geeks Out and Flame probably FlameCon.org or Con. I'm not sure what the actual yeah. website is, but uh, if you Google FlameCon, you'll find it. Um, so, what else do you have coming up? Do you have any other Kickstarters kind of on the horizon, or is it kind of just sustaining and building off of what you're doing now with the uh, Young Protectors? So, um, there's going to be Volume Two. I mean, basically, right now, because this previous Kickstarter had so much. I mean, I, I only covered like half the stuff that's being sent to the Kickstarter backers. It's just, you know, it's, it's now finally all complete and all being sent out right now. And there's going to be still a couple more months of me sending out stuff, particularly to the um, high-end backers who are getting customized rewards. Um, so I've got a few more months of that on my plate. But then there will be another Kickstarter for Volume 2. Um, and that will, hopefully, my goal is to have that in the fall. Um, I'm actually thinking of maybe doing another Kickstarter after that for a secret book that I, I don't want to reveal what that is, but I have an idea for a, okay. another Kickstarter after that was that was suggested by a reader. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, we're almost um, done in terms of, when I say almost done, we've got another couple of years of this particular arc of the Young Protectors, which is focusing on Kyle, who's the firebending superhero. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, if there's interest, um, then we're, we're going to be likely to focus on another one of the Young Protectors characters, um, you know, probably either Spooky Jones or Flyboy. Those tend to be, those are very popular characters and they have some interesting backstories. It might, it possibly fluke. So those would be the, you know, one of the three characters that we might focus on for the next car, next arc. Awesome. Well, and all of that you can find up on webcomics.yowie911.com. That's um, right. And then your, your, uh, your Kickstarters are linked off there. Your Patreon is linked off there. So I, I think, is that the easiest or is it, what's the easiest URL for them to go to? Probably, if I'm thinking the easiest URL to re remember um, would be youngprotectors.com. That'll Perfect. actually just, it'll link over, it will redirect to the right site. Um, and again, just so, again, I don't pronounce things very clearly, that's young as in not old, Y-O-U-N-G, <laughs> and protectors. Um, just like protecting somebody from danger, youngprotectors.com um, should get them to my main site. And from there, yep, they, you can find um, links to get to the Patreon. Check out my notes underneath each page because then I, I, I've also, a couple times a month, in, I'm linking to this pre-order site where you can still get access to some of the Kickstarter goodies. Um, yeah, that's going to go on for another couple months until I'm done shipping all the Kickstarter stuff. So if you weren't able to be part of the first Kickstarter, which many of my new readers weren't, you can now get access to those rewards and order them through this quote-unquote pre-order site, even though right now I'm currently shipping. So um, that's another thing that you might want to check out. Yeah, definitely. And you can get yourself some awesome trading cards and a hat and all the other cool swag you have. And again, like that you have that product for especially young readers who just they want all the things, you know, like that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They, uh, I, I'm, I'm really happy for. I, I'm jealous. My, my younger self is jealous that, like, I mean, I can still enjoy it, you know, my, my, in my, my, like, my late thirties that I'm in, but still, like that, having that as a young, as a young person out there, oh, so awesome. Um, and definitely, I follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Yowie nine one one or. So basically, all my stuff is is Alex Wolfson. Okay. So. And it's A-L-E-X-W-O-O, -O, so two O's after the W, L is in Larry, F is in Frank, S-O-N. So it's sort of like Son of Virginia Wolf oh, is how nice. you know that's spelled. So, Alex is, if, so it's Alex Wolfson on Twitter. Um, it's, it's also Alex Wolfson on Tumblr, uh, Facebook. It's also Alex Wolfson. Although there is also the Yowie 911 page, which is sort of the official page on Facebook. Okay. So plenty of places to find out all the new exciting projects that are coming up. And if you forget about young or about uh, young protectors, you shouldn't. But if you do, you know, and you've liked this, then you'll get those awesome reminders. Which again, that's how it. You know, you 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 know new content's coming up, but you forget, and then you can binge binge read and, and have such an awesome time. So, uh, Alex, thank you so much for for sitting down with us, and I really, I'm so happy to see your success, and I'm just so. So excited to keep reading Young Protectors for, for for more years. Like this is awesome. It's uh, I don't know. I'm just really happy that you are uh, you're doing awesome things. 
Well, thank you so much, Brian. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Flame On, presented by Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, like and follow us on SoundCloud, or give us your feedback at nerdyshow.com survey. Flame On was produced by Pat O'Rourke, edited by Pat O'Rourke, and special thanks to Pat O'Rourke, not Brian who likes to take the credit for doing what I see is nothing. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show and Flame On on all your favorite social networks like Twitter, Recon, Scruff, Grinder, Twitter. Did I say Twitter? Did I hit all the major ones? Jacked, like... Hornet, if you're in, uh, like, Southeast Asia. I think that's it. I think I've hit the, maybe one day they'll give me, like, free membership. I'm paying for premium. That's a joke. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.